Pastor Kevin Davis here. Um, if you've been tuning in these last few weeks, you know that I'm on sabbatical. And today, my friend and fellow Woodland Friends Church member, Dean Kalmukas, is preaching. And whenever I asked if he could preach, I mentioned that it was Reformation Sunday. I mentioned that something Halloween-related. However, uh, for our purposes of the sabbatical vault that I've been releasing sermons from, since there is no tech crew at Woodland Friends to release the sermons there that are happening, uh, I have a curious choice for you. It is taken actually from a Christmas series that I did, an Advent series, called Christ Miss. And this particular sermon um, investigates what's the matter with Christmas and um, it looks at Romans 14 5 through 9 and it asks the question you know you have many people on the secular side saying Christmas is too religious and then you have some Christians saying Christmas is too secular or pagan because of its roots and with uh, Halloween happening today um, even though I don't even uh, address Halloween actually I think I do I don't remember uh, but some of the questions and the thought processes presented in this sermon might be a bit of a guide for us as we consider uh, whether it's okay or not to celebrate Halloween. Uh, whatever the case, I hope you enjoy it. You could be turning to Romans chapter 14 if you have a Bible. And as you do, let me confess to you, I'm just usually not a fan of topical series where I pick a, a topic and I let that topic be our reasoning for studying. And quite the opposite, I usually like picking a book of the Bible and I just let that book and let the passage select the topic that we happen to study any given Sunday. However, what I will say about topical series is that perhaps it might illustrate to you that the Bible is a book that I believe can be asked difficult questions. God is a God whom you can ask difficult questions to. And if you research the Bible correctly for the difficult reasons, it might answer, it might speak into correctly the foremost important issues in your life. I don't know if Christmas is an important issue, but I find we find ourselves this month in the advent of Christ. We celebrate his incarnation. We're thinking about those days in Bethlehem where God became flesh. And this, for me, is a reason to celebrate. It's a, reason, it's a reason to celebrate that God would take on our fragile, frail flesh and ultimately start his mission to redeem us from our sins. But as we look at Christmas, I brought this up last week, kind of the driving theme of our series, is that you have pagan people or, or worldly people or secular people or non-believing people who say, that Christmas needs to be toned down a notch because it's too religious. But then on the other side, sometimes you have Christians who say Christmas is too pagan, too worldly, that we should not celebrate it. So the question becomes, is Christmas okay to celebrate? So last week we investigated the beginning or the origin of one holiday that is in the book of Esther that the Jews still practice today called Purim. But today we're going to approach it from a different angle. And as we come to the book of Romans in chapter 14, we're going to catch up with Paul writing to a very big city. 
Uh, this is like Paul writing to a place like New York City or Seattle where there's this, this big church and it's very multicultural. Now some of you might think Woodland has quite a variety of people. <laughs> I would agree with that. But if I could give you a contemporary illustration, Paul is almost, it's almost as if he's writing to converted Muslims, Native Americans from their religions and cults. Again, this is contemporary. Muslim, Islam was not around back then, but this is the idea. He's writing to all these pagan Europeans, well, not Europeans somewhat, but just a lot of people in Rome. Big church, this whole variety of backgrounds, past sins, practicing religions. You know, again, contemporary is almost as if people who celebrated the Easter bunny, they lined up kids at Halloween. Uh, Jews who still practiced the Sabbath, kept all the feasts. He's writing to a wide, wide variety of people. If you think Woodland is amazing that we all come together and can worship under one roof, Rome was blows it out of the water. <laughs> and as we come across Romans 14... You might notice I'm going to skip a few verses because I want to focus on just one question. And that is, Christmas okay to celebrate? So please stand in honor of reading the Lord's Word. We're going to start in Romans chapter 14, and let's just start with verse 1 right now. Romans 14, beginning with verse 1. Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, Paul is going to give a few examples of what some of those opinions might be. The first few verses, he talks about, you know, eating meat. But let's pick up verse 5. Paul says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the living, excuse me, both of the dead and of the living. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for any time we can open up your word and study it. But Father, we want you to speak to us and nobody else. So I pray that you would say what you would wish to us. Father, whatever we're going through, I pray that we listen for your voice. Father, if there are questions that we want answered, if there are problems that we're going through, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us in the way you want to minister to us. So I ask and pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I, am, I entitled this sermon, What is the Matter with Christmas? Well, if we ask today's world, most Christmas specials that I might watch or read key us to an idea that we could probably all agree with. Perhaps it's too commercialized. The Grinch says, well, maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. The great theologian, Dr. Seuss, there. <laughs> That's where he leaves that. So perhaps it's too commercialized. Blind people who want presents and 
got to have their presence, and they whine if they don't. If you ask some Christians, they'll say it's descended from pagan roots. Now, the most common thing I hear is that December 25th used to be a pagan holiday named Saturnalia in ancient Rome. Okay, interesting. That's very interesting. And if you want to, I would highly encourage against it. But if you Google Saturnalia, it doesn't look like that. So, but here's what I did find. Saturnalia was a religious pagan festival for the religion, for a god that the pagans worshipped called Mithras, I think. And so, here's what Saturnalia looked like. Again, not the cute picture up here. It was a a week-long festival, and it usually peaked on December 25th. In the festival, during the whole time the festival was going, all the courts were closed down. Now, the reason they're doing this is because they knew some stuff was going to happen that they didn't want to fill the courts up with all these allegations. So, in other words, anarchy could usually reign supreme during this festival, so nobody could be charged with things that would take place, such as assault, murder, and property damage. The festival would kick off in a Roman community when the group of people would select a victim to represent what they would call the Lord of Misrule. So you go, so you know that things are starting to look really up here. There's going to be a Lord of Misrule. They were forced to indulge in gluttony, perverse physical pleasures for the duration of the festival. And then on December 25th, after the Lord of Misrule had endured all this, he was brutally murdered. This was a spectacle believed to destroy the forces of darkness. I don't know how that happens. Besides that, it was said that pagans throughout Rome were celebrating the birthday of their gods on December 25th. Now, when I hear from people that Saturnalia is the pagan root of Christmas, I always had the idea that perhaps certain practices we do or certain festivities we might do were somehow done on Saturnalia. I don't see that. But many Christians I've met who denounce celebrating Christmas because of verses like this in Deuteronomy chapter 12. It says, when the Lord your God, perhaps I should back up and say that this is Moses talking to the Israelites before they go into Canaan. He says, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go into dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them, after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, that I may also do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in the way for, in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to the gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Now, reading a verse like that and considering the background information, again, this was Moses talking to God's people before taking the promised land. And then for a contemporary person to say, you know, Rome celebrated their own God's birthday in this horrific pagan fashion on December 25th. So maybe maybe we shouldn't do anything on December 25th. That to me seems like a stretch. If the primary reason I should not honor the Lord by celebrating his birthday, or the incarnation on the 25th, is because some people who I don't know at some point in time did bad things on the same day and called it a holiday. It seems to me it's a rule that you are more than welcome to follow, but I don't see it as a rule prescribed in the Bible. 
What does the Bible say about Christmas? Well, we see nowhere in the Bible any holiday happening on any date resembling the 25th that I know of, even after translating months in different calendars. We see no biblical precedence to say, hey, celebrate the date that Jesus was born through Mary and Joseph. Which probably wasn't anywhere near December in the first place, because the shepherds, I'm sure, would get really cold if it was snowing as they were washing their sheep that night. But what topical studies in the Bible does is they'll often ask the question, is there anywhere in the Bible where perhaps a similar situation or a similar problem is taking place? And the answer, I believe, is yes. Again, Paul is writing this very diverse church, which, again, has to be like woodland full of people who think differently, have different theological backgrounds. And among those diverse backgrounds are Jews who think that keeping every law-ordained festival is indeed something necessary. So Paul writes in verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now we might read this, and in 21st century America, where even losers get honorable mention, you might want to say to Paul, weak in faith? What do you mean by that, Paul? Isn't everyone strong in the Lord? I mean, doesn't the weak faith guy at least get a trophy? Is he handicapped? Does he need people to come alongside him? What defines a faith as weak? And why is it weak? Well, I know this probably surprises you, but there are opinions about this. In reality, the surrounding text seems to apply either two things. Again, as I said, maybe it's the Jew who continues, needs to continue to observe the law. Maybe that's a person weak in faith. He says, you know, no bacon. We have to meet on Saturday. We have to do all these festivals. Don't quarrel with them about it, is what Paul is saying. But as we read on, we'll see why there's no need to quarrel about it. But there's a second opinion, and maybe this is a pagan convert who has set himself up rules, because he says we cannot eat meat, because maybe the pagan god that he followed was where the meat was sacrificed to. So maybe this is a pagan convert who comes in and says, you know, let's not eat that meat. And let's meet on the right day because I want to make sure I'm really saved. Problems like this persist in many of the churches that Paul wrote to. Uh, One of the other churches is a church in Corinth. So maybe this is just a general thing that Paul is saying. Okay, there's going to be a person weak in faith, and it might be on these matters. So we drop down again to verse 5. And Paul is talking about observing or not observing certain days. And one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his mind, his own mind. This to me is interesting, because I wonder if you thought thought Paul, let's try to combine those words, if you thought Paul was going to point out who's wrong here. Furthermore, I wondered if you were expecting Paul to say to the person with weak faith, hey, man up. Christ Jesus died to free you from the bondage of the law, so deal with it. Eat bacon all you want, go to church on Sunday, and catch up with the rest of us. But Paul does not say that. Paul described the problem. One person esteems one day as better than another. Paul could have been talking about the Sabbath here. Saturday was the Sabbath. That was the day that God told people to rest. And so Paul says, one person does this, holds the Sabbath 
rather legalistically, and then he says, but another esteems all days alike, right? This is the day that the Lord has made, and the people started meeting after Jesus resurrected. So on Sunday, because that's the day that Jesus resurrected. So you can call church together, you can do the whole nine yards, you can sing songs, you can listen to a sermon, you can do communion, and you can do it all on a Tuesday night, <laughs> to the glory of God, if you would want to. And it would be just as holy and good and acceptable if it was done on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. But Paul says these people can coexist. But furthermore, look at what he says next. He says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul is saying no matter what category you fall into, whether you hold to Sabbath keeping or feast practicing or every day is a day to make holy for the Lord, whatever, he doesn't tell us what one's right and what one's wrong. But instead, he puts the burden on each person who holds conflicting views, and he says, just be convinced of it wholeheartedly. Now, there's a reason that Paul is doing this over this opinion, and he's not saying, well, you know, some people say Jesus is God's son, and others say Jesus is just a good teacher, just be fully convinced. He's not saying that. These are opinions. This is something, if it was about Jesus, I'm sure Paul would lay it out on the table. Verse 1 tells us that Paul is concerned about opinions here. He's not concerned about dogmatic teachings that the apostles all agree on that are not debatable. Apparently, holy day observances could be a matter of opinion. A matter of opinion. So he says one day is better or all days are equally important. Just be convinced of it, of your, of it in your own mind. Verse 6 he says... The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. This to me sounds a little bit paradoxical. And again, I think the crux of this discussion or conversation that Christians have with one another, should we celebrate Christmas or should we not, really falls on this, because I think for me, let me just speak for myself, I observe Christmas, and I believe I do it in the honor of, for the honor of the Lord. I give thanks to God for sending His Son, but then again, the people who, who I have met who abstain from celebrating Christmas, they abstain it in honor of the Lord. They feel convicted that they cannot celebrate it, and so they feel like that they're honoring God. So the question is, is should you or should you not celebrate Christmas, and Paul's answer, I believe, to that question is yes. <laughs> now, I know Paul is probably, again, talking about the Sabbath, maybe a Jewish holiday, but the point is the same, because Paul is saying the point is not about the day. The point is about the relationship with God. So let the believer do as he wills. Let me just confess, if I were the writer of the book of Romans, I probably would have failed. <laughs> now, if we were to go about, I mean, I wonder if you would go about this situation similarly. I mean, there's a fleshly part of me that would say, well, why does the weak brother observe the Sabbath? Is he trying to work his way to heaven? Does he think if he observes the Sabbath that the blood of Jesus just wasn't enough to save him from his sins? Why does the weak brother not observe Christmas? Does he think that the incarnation of Jesus in the flesh is something not to commemorate? Or maybe some of you might say, why does the weak brother observe Christmas? Does he not know he's partaking in a holiday that has its roots in pagan origins? But Paul 
does not go into the supposed rights or wrongs of observing the day, feasts, eating meat or not. But Paul makes the point, it is for the honor of the Lord that they do these things. Paul says the observance of holy days are a matter of opinion, and engaging in the holy days or not engaging them is a matter of motive. What's your motive in engaging the celebration of Christmas? Is it to honor the Lord? Is it to get more presents? Is it to make the house look nice and pray for snow because that's the best Christmas ever? Or is it the honor of the Lord? What's your motive in celebrating Christmas? Paul continues, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. This is Paul's way of saying, None of us are God. We're not self-ruling and reigning. By definition, becoming a Christian is surrendering our rights to God. So to get that across, Paul turns it around and says it this way in verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This is why Paul is not coming down on this one way or another. He's not God. <laughs> He's not God. He can't make that judgment. Paul is not Lord over your life. He's not Lord over my life. And if we believe in a personal relationship where the Holy Spirit speaks to us about these matters on a personal basis, then we need to believe that the Lord speaks to us on matters of opinion. Now hear this closely. Matters of opinion, he might speak to us differently because they are opinions and they affect us differently. Right? Right? Jesus is God. He's come to save humanity. You, that's going to affect everyone the same way. If you're a human, you're going to be affected by that the same way. That's not an opinion. Bible says practicing other religions are a sin. Worshiping idols are a sin. Perverse sexuality, everything from adultery to fornication to homosexuality to lusting, it's all sin. These are our things that aren't opinion. They affect us all the same way. Well, how about drinking alcohol? Giving you an example of how this has played out biblically, the Holy Spirit occupies the womb of Elizabeth, enters into John the Baptist, and you read in Luke chapter 1, if my slideshow will go forward, there we go, Luke chapter 1, and about that baby, the angel says, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Meanwhile, a little bit later, you have Jesus at a wedding turning water into wine. Well, he didn't drink it. I think he did. <laughs> and I think he instituted that in the Lord's Supper, too. He told his disciples to drink wine and say it was blood of Jesus. Furthermore, Paul tells Timothy, hey, if you're feeling sick, a little bit of wine's good for you. Well, does God not want us to drink alcohol, or does he? Maybe for different people, he wants different things. For me, I'm convicted personally to really not engage in any kind of alcohol drinking. Why? Primarily because it makes a public statement. It might serve as an example. I've seen other people just go down the wrong path with alcohol. And so like a good little Pharisee, <laughs> I'm going to set up personal rules and put a fence around those rules and some walls around that rules. I just don't want it even for it to be a possibility in my own life. But many Christians I love and I know drink a few beers occasionally, and God bless them. I see them as pure and white as any other Christian. Because in my mind, it's not about the alcohol, but it's about what God has said to me. 
One Christian I know who may drink a little wine, I know he doesn't watch much TV because he's had a problem with lusting and he doesn't want to put himself in that situation. So it's not about the TV, it's not about the alcohol, it's about obeying God in our personal relationship. Paul says holiday observances are a matter of opinion, engaging them is a matter of motive. And for those who engage or not engage, the holiday is a matter of lordship. You live for Christ, you die for Christ, so what does Christ say about your holiday? Verse 9 says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. I love what Paul does. He brings the argument into its proper focus. Because we could have Jews coming to church saying, I love this church, I would love it more if it met regularly on Saturday. <laughs> then we could have Gentiles coming to church saying, I love Sunday morning church, and especially when we have church breakfasts, the bacon buffet is my favorite. <laughs> and then Kevin comes along and says, sorry, I couldn't make it to Saturday night or Sunday morning, but do you have a Tuesday night service that offers a little coffee, and can we sing Christmas songs, please? And I love that Paul doesn't point out what might be right or wrong, but the odds are, had to fit coffee in that somehow, but the odds are that Paul had his, probably had his own opinions about these things, but he says, hey, have you forgotten it's not about Tuesday night, it's not about Saturday morning or Sunday morning or bacon or coffee, but it's about Christ. And Paul just doesn't say, hey, it's about Christ. Because what Christ has done is so spectacular, and perhaps the church in Rome knows exactly what Christ has done, but Paul even still lays it out for them. He says, for to this end Christ died and lived again. For to this end Christ died and lived again. Saturday morning service, maybe bacon. For to this end Christ died and lived again. Celebrate Christmas, maybe not. For to this end Christ died and lived again. You know what gets me fired up more than singing Christmas songs on a snowy night is seeing the gospel of Jesus impact people's lives. As Paul says in this verse, so that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Tell you what, the Grinch could come and steal all of my Christmas if I knew that one person would find Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. That's all I had to do. Now, the reason I celebrate Christmas personally is I love the fact that the good news that Jesus has come to earth in the first place. I love to think about the cradle because I know it ultimately leads to the cross. But Paul, in essence, is saying bacon, no bacon, Sabbath, no Sabbath, Christmas, no Christmas, whatever. Secondary, not even relevant issues when it comes to what the point of the Christian life is. And that is, who are you in relation to God? And are your opinions and all your motives subject to who your Lord is? I said it last week, I'll say it again this week, this is not my attempt to save Christmas. This isn't the biggest concern of mine. The biggest concern of mine is what I believe is missing in both arguments for the non-believer and for the Christian, and that is Christ. That's what's missing. Because if Christ does not rule or reign in your heart, Celebrating Christmas is pointless. If Christ does not preached in your ears, if he's not sang about in your songs, if he's not celebrated in your house, Christmas is pointless. If Christ is not honored in your celebrating Christmas, but maybe capitalism is and Santa Claus is and gluttony is, even if family is exalted, 
Christ is not, then Christmas is not worth celebrating. I'm not saying this to be overtly, overtly religious and condemning. I'm saying this because it's true. <laughs> Paul says, the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. I'm not saying candies, gifts, family, friends, decorations, songs are bad. What I am saying, I should say what I am asking, is the Lord honored in your observance of Christmas? Is the Lord honored in your non-observance of Christmas? What is the matter with Christmas? In Paul's paradigm, it's a matter of opinion, to celebrate or not to celebrate. It's a matter of motive. If you celebrate it, what is your motive? It's a matter of lordship. Is your observance or non-observance in the holiday due in part to honoring the Lord? But wouldn't you like to know what first century St. Paul, a great theologian of the Christian church, thinks about 21st century American Christmas? I just got a letter from him. Just kidding. (laughs) I obviously don't have another book of the Bible, nor has Paul written a letter to the church in Woodland. But what I do have is speculation. I speculate that Paul personally would see no problem with celebrating Christmas, and here's why. In this same passage that Paul has been talking about, the weak person in faith, if the, who the Holy Spirit might have checks on their life concerning me and days to observe or not, look at what Paul says in Romans 14.14. 14. So again, Paul says it's a matter of opinion, motive, and lordship. And then in verse 14, these are his own beliefs concerning the matters of opinion, motive, and lordship. He says, I know and am persuaded that in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. I think Paul was sometimes a lawyer. I'm just kidding. (laughs) See, but Paul is following the footsteps of Jesus, and Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And so the point is, is observing a day like Christmas, the singing songs, celebrating the birth of Jesus, these are all outside things, sensory things. But as Paul just laid out for us in Romans 14, it's what on your inside that matters. What is your matter of opinion on it? What is your matter of motive? What is the matter of lordship? See, December 25th is just a block of time that humans recognize. (laughs) More atrocities, I'm sure, have taken place on December 25th. A Christmas tree is just a Christmas tree. A fruitcake is a fruitcake. A Christmas carol is just a song that we hear and sing. All outside things. But Paul makes room and he says, I know and am persuaded that in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it uncleans. The reason he says this is because of the inside reasons where evil comes from. He continues in verse 15, he says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue for what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. There's a verse a Quaker could love. <laughs> what Paul is saying is this. Hey, if it bothers people, it's not a big issue. It's not worth fighting over. As I told you, Christmas is not my hill to die on. I celebrate it, love it, think it's biblically okay to celebrate. I think families who celebrate it, if they can, if they desire, they receive a lot out of it. But at the end of the day, I'm more concerned about your walk with God. And in your walk with God, if you see it as honorable to the Lord to not celebrate it, more power to you. Because the kingdom of God is not even a matter of celebrating Christmas. But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue for what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. What's the matter with Christmas? It's a matter of opinion. Pitted against your matter of motive and under the matter of lordship. But I want to leave you with a challenge. And it's a challenge that I've been facing personally this Advent season. It's the challenge that Paul gave to the people in Rome. Is your observance or non-observance of Christmas honorable to the Lord? He says, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So how about you and Christmas? Do you buy an overabundance of gifts and look forward to receiving gifts because you seek to honor the Lord? Do you sing songs and celebrate and decorate and you're making your house? Is it to make your house a sacred place where the Lord is honored? I think these things can be done, but it's worth asking. I don't see anything wrong with loving on people, blessing them with gifts. Jesus says God loved the world so much that he gave his son Jesus the matchless gift of Jesus. Making your place nice and decorating and inviting people for fellowship is good. But the challenge is, is celebrating Christmas out of honoring the Lord or out of honoring someone or some people or something else like your spouse, your family, or the tradition of your family? Are you celebrating because it's what you've always done? It brought you warm and comforting little feelings as a child. Maybe for you to even examine something so traditional, warm-filling, and magical is something you just don't want to do. It's been convicting me. You're celebrating Christmas something honorable to the Lord. Now, I want to say something else, because I know there are people out there who, if they don't celebrate Christmas, they don't go all out like Pastor Kevin, who has a nutcracker collection sitting on his coffee table right now. I wonder if the Holy Spirit or if Paul has some words from the latter part of this verse. Equal conviction. Conviction is an equal opportunity matter that way. And he says, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So is this why you abstain, to honor the Lord? Or to feel good about yourself? See, religion, I believe, is the number one pet peeve of Jesus. (laughs) And by religion, I mean the people who think that their laws can save them or somehow impress God. Are you abstaining from the practice of Christmas because good little Christian Pharisees don't engage in consumer commercialism? You've done your research, you've found the pagan roots, and you have your secret knowledge, and if you've managed to escape the cultish clutches of Christmas, and in doing so, 
You're the set-apart brand of Christian who doesn't engage in American Christmas because it has nothing to do with Jesus. What are your reasons for not celebrating? Is it to honor the Lord or honor your own efforts to somehow impress God by being a better Christian than the rest? That's exactly what Jesus detested about the Pharisees. Pharisees who took the law and made rules that didn't exist into existence because they wanted to put gates and walls and fortresses around forbidden fruit so God can say, wow, he is impressive. It's a horrible sin. It's a sin that says, God, your son's sacrifice on the cross was just not enough. I've got to make sure all my rules are down so I'll impress you. And God is saying back, my son's perfect blood was enough. Thank you. What's my point? My point is I want you to honor the Lord. See, perhaps some of you don't feel convicted about Christmas. You're like, I don't care about this argument. But I wonder if you realize maybe my life in general, I wonder if that's honoring the Lord. Is every time in your life, is everything that you say, every show that you watch, every person that you talk to, every practice that you do, does that honor the Lord? I want to invite you to do something that Paul sees in Romans 2 as God's kindness. And that is repentance. God's kindness leads us to repentance. I like that. If you're convicted, it's because I've been trying really hard to do that. No. <laughs> if you're convicted, it's maybe because the Holy Spirit has been saying to you, that's something that you need to give to me. And what repentance is not just confession, which I like what the word confession is. Confession in the original language, is just acknowledging. Because it's not like God is up there saying, man, he's sinning, I just don't know what it is. No, it's just acknowledging, saying, Lord, you've called me out on this. I want to confess to you, it is a problem. But then repentance, is furthermore, it's change. It's change in your heart, it's change in your mind, it's change in your life. To turn from where you were walking and going another way. So I invite you, like I've been invited to do this Advent season, is to repent. And to take part in God's grace and mercy once again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I think about something that's been so near and dear to me all my life, Christmas. Father, I realized that sometimes I was really concerned about what presents I would get. I was really concerned about all the family would be together. I was really concerned about if they had ham instead of turkey. <laughs> Things like that. Well, what was I concerned about you? Father, if there are those of us right now feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I pray that we would respond in obedience. Father, if there are some things that we've made Christmas out to be and it's, it's not what it was supposed to be, there are those of us who just in our walk with you, we've not been honoring to you. We've not been considering you every step of the way. We've not been inviting you to every area of our life. Father, I ask for my friends here that they would open up their hearts and their minds to you and say, please come in, forgive me of this sin. Empower me with your spirit to be the person who you want me to be who is honoring to you in everything I say and do. Father, we thank you that you would speak to us. We ask that you would be with us the remainder of this week. Pray that you would guide us and guard our hearts and be with us in those situations that we're facing. We ask and pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ in whom we love and love to serve. Amen. Mm -hmm.